Mine's literally just bourbon and water over two big <laughs> cubes of ice. Allagash white for me. I'm drinking a grapefruit claw, my quarantine beverage of choice. Oh, no. White claw. Um, is that a so, is that is that why this is going to be a tough episode? Is what is what why this is going to be a tough episode? Because you you continue to drink that swill. <laughs> <laughs> is Janine? Is that why you thought it was going to be a tough episode? Because I'm drinking drinking the claw. You're drinking the cl- grapefruit claw. I am oh. drinking a grapefruit claw. Yeah, yeah. That that's that's a hint, buddy. Oh, um, no. oh friends, yeah. lovers. We are gathered here today on a most somber occasion as we socially isolate in our apartments all of the six lamps that we have turned on to make it seem like there's sunshine even though there's not (laughs) are glowing just a little more dimly. All the Twitter feeds are just a little more hushed. Our Facebook comments have gone to a low, a low murmur. Uh, our uh, ice cubes are rattling a little less cheerily. Uh, a light has gone out in the world. The pample moose is no more. Oh mm. God, damn! Oh. I mean, we knew it was going to happen. Yeah, but come on! Oh, not today. I mean, I, f- I felt not like... Not today, Satan! Not today, <laughs> Satan! I, f- I felt uh, as prepared as I could have been, knowing that his character was basically living on borrowed time anyway. And I have to admit, I'm really proud of myself that I did not cry during the episode, because... <laughs> I did. It was pretty... It was sudden, and then it just was over. And it was like, oh. God damn it. I'm going to miss Duncan LaCroix so much fuck man he's the best actor on the show right now in my opinion and i'm gonna miss him so bad also what a great character all right here's to pample moose y'all cheers here's pample moose damn it Mm -hmm. um hold on taking questions for the pod in the just we show spoil Oh, channel. Man. Okay, sorry. Um, God. Yeah, I know it's it, it stings, even it though it's, it is a fictional character. <laughs> it just happens to be a fictional character that we've been discussing at length ad nauseum for six years now. That <laughs> uh, six years. We've added two years for these last two weeks. We've been in isolation. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so <laughs> the last twenty years. <laughs> I don't it's, do math. No. It's uh, a. <laughs> It's, I mean, it's like a, it, there is exactly one instance that compares to this since we've been doing the pod, and it was um, uh, Frank's exit, right? And, yeah. and we've obviously seen Tobias Menzies since then. It is likely that we will see Duncan LaCroix again um, in some capacity, you know? Like, there are always flashbacks, and mm-hmm. there are whatevers, and who knows? Um, as this episode proves... Uh, they're not above inventing a reason to have an actor come back, uh-huh. even if it's Ooh. playing a new character. You're going to um, love that, Janine. What? Uh, oh, you'll see. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> what the fuck's happening? But <laughs> it's, um, you know, 
Murta lasted a lot longer on the show than he did the books. There's a lot of book stuff to talk about this week. And for once, basically all of it's good. Like my, it's, first of all, this is an excellent episode of Outlander. It's like a, Mm -hmm. like season one, season two level. Yes. Culloden, Faith, like it's on that tier. It is a definite top 10. It really made me think, it reminded me a lot of Preston Pans. Mm Mm-hmm. Man. Somebody in the crowd cast said it's like Preston Pans from the perspective of the British, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really interesting. Um, it's uh, inc- just incredibly well done on every level. And um, if they don't fuck it up, uh, the next episode is likely to be in a similar vein, certainly a Ooh. similar level of intensity. So, um, you know, it's the, fu- the the weird thing. Welcome to Podlander Drunkcast, now Lander Podcast. <laughs> um, I'm Allison. I'm Julie. God, I'm just in awe That's of your Janine. mastery. That's Janine. That one. Well, that one. That wasn't mastery so much as it just. I was like, oh fuck, I need to say this at some point. I, <laughs> I guess it, I better just, do that now. It worked. It worked. It <laughs> I'm so really good. glad. Oh, um, uh, anyway, we're talking about uh, Outlander Season 5, Episode 7, The Ballad of Roger Mack, which, as I was just saying, is um, the best the show has been in quite a while. I don't know. I agree. Um, I would have to look at an episode list to say the last time I watched an episode that I felt was this consistently good, because there have certainly been scenes Mm-hmm. Here, here and there, right on this level, this season, last season, um, even season three, Ugh, uh, and obviously there are <laughs> some very good episodes in season three as well, right? Like the episode where Claire decides to go back in time is really great. Like it's a mm-hmm. really, really mm-hmm. the which is that's the uh, what can I do? What can I do? That's that episode, mm-hmm. um, you know. And it, there, there have certainly been highlights. I would never say otherwise, um, and there have been some. Sh- truly shocking scenes um as this episode is truly shocking in a couple of places um it's but consistently it feels like a preston pants it feels like faith it feels like culloden it feels like uh to ransom a man's soul it feels like it's I think it's because all of the plot lines were specifically about the same thing sort of, you you know, there wasn't a lot of jumping back and forth between locations. Right. And so I think that gave it a a more, um, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Just it made it more compelling. Yeah. It just made it more compelling Yeah, because you were thinking about the same things all the way through as opposed Mm -hmm. to having to kind of compartmentalize and bounce back and forth. So I think that that was very effective anyway. This was a very good episode. I much preferred it to last week. Mm. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. definitely the best of the season. Um, mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Kara, Kara Marlowe. Oh my god, I checked my email because we got a um, we got a message from someone on Patreon saying to check our email, uh, which we did. There are some great photos of Duncan LaCroix in there. Very nice. Uh, back in October, I need to check our email more often. Kara Marlowe sent us a spreadsheet titled Suissant Neuf Outlander. 
Because so she started the Hot 69 list? She did, which we, now we definitely have to make sure that we do yeah. it. Um, yeah. But yeah, she sent us uh, quite a roster of hot moments. Good. Um, way to go. Anyway, sorry, got distracted. What the fuck were we talking about? Um, this episode. <laughs> this episode. Well, and you were um, saying too, yeah. like, that you like this episode better than last week's. And last week felt like it, it they didn't, it was like, what the hell's going on? There, it's just a lot. That one scene between Marta and Jacosta was really good, but the rest of the episode was just so bounce, 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 and yeah. I don't. It just and, wasn't my favorite. And I wonder if like that was just them kind of getting to the, knowing that this ep- this episode and the, the next one, uh, if it meets Allison's um, uh, soothsaying, um, mm-hmm. then they were prepping for this, right? Like they got Ho- a little distracted. Hopefully. I don't know. It was good. <laughs> I'm glad it happened because yeah. after the last couple of episodes, I've been a little bit like meh. Yeah. Yeah, Meh. but this one was good, and um, top tier uh, shit. Yeah, it was very good. Uh, I should dive in here. Um, yeah, we got to we got to get there eventually. Even though I don't want to, we we got to dive <laughs> we got to dive in. So the cold opening is in the future or the sixties or seventies or whatever, and it's a man you don't see his face, so you don't title spe- card. This isn't yeah. a cold open. That's sorry, title, title card. card. You don't specifically know that it's Roger McKenzie, but it's somebody working on a song with a guitar and they turn around to notate a piece of music and it's called the ballad of Roger Mack. So Roger McKenzie. And then we open up very like sixties duds too. Mm, Like mm -hmm, sure mm -hmm. looked like he was working on a song that he was going to send to the birds or something. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And then we flop back to the past and we're, I mean, I'm sorry, but we had to start with a voiceover again. (laughs) <laughs> and it was Claire telling us that everybody's on the road to Hillsboro because that's where this big fight is. It's going to be their encampment, the closest place to whatever this fight between Tryon's forces and the regulators is going to be. And so we see that Claire goes with Jamie. She's like setting up a hospital tent, like all that sorts of shit. So it really does feel a lot like one of the battle scenes from season one or two. And then we go back to Roger and Bree, and they are in Hillsboro proper. They're in the city staying at a friend's house, and they, what were their names, Allison? The Shunts? It doesn't super matter. Um, Shurston's. I don't remember the name. Yeah. The Shurston uh, house. There's a line where Bree says, um, thank you so much for letting us stay with you, Mrs. Shurston, and she says, oh, any service that we can render Jocasta is, Jocasta Ines now is a service we are happy to render, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but before that, uh, they're just hanging out in the sh- in the Shurston's um, living room, in their TV room, in the game room. <laughs> yes, um, in the whist parlor. <laughs> in the whist parlor. Um, and Roger's got a guitar, and he's a noodling on it, um, which Julie... Went, it was fine. She... When it started, though, watching on the Crowdcast, I was a little bit worried she was going to suffer an injury to her eyes... I did bowl a turkey. Because that's how hard she rolled them. <laughs> What's bowl a turkey mean? It's three strikes in a row. <laughs> how do bowl, you... Bowl what does that have so to do with hard. rolling your eyes? Because you're rolling so hard. Oh. Yeah. That was some, like, coffee wow. That's some deep cut bowling jokes. And you guys don't think I know anything about bowling because I don't. That was good, though. God. Thank you. Yow. Um, but yeah, I did roll my eyes because I was like, this shit again. But I should have known because the title of the episode is about a song. I'm like, fine. But it was cute. 
this time because he it was a quiet singing and he was singing to his baby and it was cute and it new, was short. Was that a new baby? Did they bring in a new baby? It looked a little older or Maybe bigger. it's just an older baby. Very cute plumper. baby. Yeah, plumper. super cute. It, definite plump cheeks. Also, this baby <laughs> loves music. So the baby is obsessed with Roger now. And Roger is singing, oh, my darling, oh, my darling, <laughs> oh, my darling, Clementine. You are lost and gone forever. Dreadful Saudi Clementine. This is mm-hmm. really nice. Can we just do this more often? <laughs> um, I, I don't know any of the more of the lyrics to that song off the top of my head, but I could do it. Found a peanut, found a peanut. <laughs> found he was a doing peanut. some deep cut verse shit that I didn't recognize from it. Yeah. Well, when you you're in the middle of nowhere and you got yeah, I mean, he knows all the words. Nothing but time. Know. All the Clementine lyrics. Um. Anyway, it's very cute and uh, will probably be important. I assume that the next episode is going to do some filling in the blanks with Roger's story. We'll see. Um. But I would be very surprised if we don't um hear more of that song at some point. Anyway, Patty. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Patty. So. They're saying goodbye. They do some very enthusiastic smooching, and Bree says how brave he is, and um, it's like a goodbye before war, right? It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. And then we um, jump to glamping on the <laughs> battleground. It's a very glamorous tent, so much light. It is. Is So Jamie and Claire are in their tent in Canoodling. bed. Canoodling a little. Well, it opens with Jamie staring at his left hand. Well, if you remember, was ravaged and deformed by Blackjack Randall, right? So he yes. still probably has problems with it. Good but pull, Julie. I was wondering if I was going to have to remind you of that. Yeah, he's he's go. looking at it and he's kind of moving his fingers. And we come to find out that this day is James Malcolm Mackenzie Fraser's 50th birthday. Oh, wow. Guess wow. guess who doesn't look fucking 50 years old, bro? Fucking this guy. Jesus. The, the J-Lo of 18th century yeah. America. Oh right? The J-Lo of the American Revolution. So He's, he's going to be the Super Bowl halftime show next year. <laughs> you know that uh, YouTube video about George Washington? It's really about Jamie. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> fucking killing for fun. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. He is coming. In this scene, he's coming. Yes, because then he and Claire talk about getting older and how they check in with themselves. And there's a cute moment where she lifts up the blanket and they look at his wainer and are like, that's still working. And then they fuck. And it's a very nice, quiet morning fuck where she sings happy birthday to him while she rides him. Well, and she sings happy birthday like Marilyn Monroe singing to Kennedy. Only she Mm -hmm. says Colonel instead of Mr. President. But she does like a very... Happy birthday. Oh While she takes off her clothes. Oh my. As she gets on top of him. Oh my. So it was okay. It wasn't like a, like a going at it hard and fast. It was like a, a, a it was in. appropriate for a 50 year old man. That's it pu- was, pushing all the buttons was, in my mind. Oh my. It, <laughs> it was like the beginning of a season one sex scene. Oh mm-hmm, my. Mm-hmm. It would have kept going. But you know, there is a war to fight. So yeah, I they understand. Gotta, they gotta, they got shit to do. There's a lot to do in this episode. So yeah. they cut away yeah. right when Jamie's eyes are starting to um, to roll a turkey. <laughs> Bowl a turkey. Bowl a turkey <laughs> because they're rolling so far back in his head. Yes, yes, yes. From the doing it. From mm-hmm. the doing it. Oh, and then God. we cut outside and we find out that Governor Tryon has brought cannons to this knife match. 
So he's outgunned the regulators pretty sincerely. Pretty they are heavily. outgunned. Yeah. Outmanned. Mm-hmm. Outnumbered. Outplanned. They're going to make an all out stand. And yo, they're going to need a right hand. Man, I tried. It fell Good. apart there. Man, no, That's but the first. You opened Hamilton real strong. by Lin Manuel Miranda. Now available on iTunes. <laughs> Not available in person because all theaters are closed. Uh, oh. Let's go back to that happy birthday scene. That was more fun. <laughs> so. They wheel these cannons up, and Jamie's like, uh, the regulators don't have cannons. Yeah, they are, he, there's a line about, and this, uh, this is, by and large, an extremely faithful adaptation. There's some stuff that they pull in from other books, from other sections in the books. Um, sometimes the location changes. Obviously, anything having to do with Murta is different, but the way they incorporate it is also very faithful to what happens in the books. So, um, And this is one example of that, where Jamie specifically is like, so you have cannons. They have pitchforks. Like, are you sure that we shouldn't think about this? Because they're, you know, citizens and... Um, of your state. Your, subjects basically and you're going to fire cannons at them which they are going to try to hit like wiffle balls with their pitchforks because they're farmers not soldiers Mm -hmm. um which sounds like dangerous fun um so trying is not having it yeah he does he is not trying to listen and he's like but shouldn't they do what i want them to do i mean we've come this far and then Roger shows up all do 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 late. Why is he late? Was it because he was saying goodbye to Bree? Yes. Okay. Well, presumably, I was a little bit like Captain McKenzie. Get it the fuck together. I mean, Clementine's a very long song. If you it know. has so I, many verses. True. It yeah. does have a lot of verses. But he he all sidles up and takes his place. And then uh, guess who shows up? Isaiah, that kid that ran away with the daughter in Brown Town. You remember that shit? Yeah. Okay, well, he shows up to be on the militia, but guess who else is on the militia? The pissed-off dudes from Browntown, and they want to kill him. And Isaiah's like, no. And Jamie's like, hey, we're all fighting on the same side. So while, we, while we've got this war to fight, why don't you just fucking chill out? Get it the fuck together, Browntown. Right, and Browntown's like, all right, fine. As long as we have this fight to do, I'll let our fight stand until it's over. Okay, so remember that. And then... Uh, Oh, this is where Jamie passes out these cute little yellow pins that look like yellow flowers that all the his militia need to wear because they're in plain clothes. So in the when they go to fight, they'll be able to tell that they are part of the king's army and not the regulators. Basically, wow. don't shoot anybody wearing a pretty badge. Yeah, don't shoot anybody wearing this yellow flower. Hmm. It's really brutal. It's like... It just is hammering home that they're, they really should be all on the same side, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. It just, you literally cannot tell the regulators from the militia because they're all just people. They're who, the same people. Right? They're yeah. all the same. So we have to wear these little things to make sure that we know who's who. It's upsetting. Yeah. And then Jamie's wandering around the camp kind of talking to his troops, and he ends up at the lunch table with those two teenage boys that were shoveling shit. 
shit shovelers. The shit shovelers. And and they're talking about how they go hunting a lot so they know that this is just like war, right? And you guys remember when Fergus tried to run out on the field of Preston Pans? It's a little bit like that. Because Jamie's like, all right, kid, no. Hunting is not like war because the beaver does not have a gun. (laughs) Or like your your prey (laughs) is not trying to kill you. So just know, yes, there is shooting in it, but also know you got to be careful out there because now people are trying to kill you too. So these two little kids, right, war is killing. And these two little boys are probably supposed to be 15, 16 years old, maybe between 16 and 20. So they don't know shit. They're youngins. Yeah, that'll come back too. So keep that in your mind. Hmm. And then we find out, we get a letter that uh, one of the shipments of munitions of like powder and a couple of cannons and shit was uh, intercepted by the regulators and they turned them away. So that means that Tryon's army has a little bit less gunpowder. Well, and specifically Murta. Like and it was Murta Murta that did and it. the militia. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, um, uh, and this is to that comparison that whoever it was made it in the crowd cast, like reverse Preston pans. Very, um, the weaker force is pulling off some cool shit by doing their stealth Scottish stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, almost like Jamie's leading them, which makes sense because Murta's leading them and you know, they're basically the same. They mm-hmm. like have all the same experiences. So Jamie's like, Oh yep. That sounds like me. Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. like something I do. Remember yeah. when we stole those pins from all those remember cannons the, those and pins? I put, I put that shit in my face and then I didn't fuck my wife. Remember that? Oh, I do. I'll never <laughs> forgive you. God, I love that scene. And that what you got to move on. I can't. Come on. Oh, believe me, you're gonna move on, Jimmy. Oh, you're gonna move on. So I'm holding on to that good piece as long as I can. And then all of a sudden, a man of the cloth shows up. It's Reverend Caldwell. Shout out to the Caldwell twins. Shout out Caldwells. And he's all like, "Hey, Governor Tryon, can a brother get a minute?" <laughs> Please read this letter from the regulators. And the regulators are all like, hey, Governor Tryon, we don't want to fight. We just want you to pay attention to us. We want you to hear what we're saying. Like, here are our demands. Here are the things that your citizens have problems with. And it was probably a little ballsy in its language, but Tryon is also like a little Napoleon, so he can't fucking handle it. And he reads it, and he's like, Ugh. all right, well, I'll give them until tomorrow. I'll, I'll, I'll write them a letter. I'll tell them what I think of this. So we, we at least get one more day of no fighting. Okay. okay. Nice. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, I mean, obviously I'm going to say no. but Yeah, right obviously, obviously I'm going to tell them that they can either bow to my might or not. And at this point I have a note written down, which is, why is Jamie always surrounded by assholes? Just dicks. Real dicks. Just Every always. politician Jamie has ever encountered has been a total dick. Yeah, and they're just like power-hungry very like myopic views of what it means to be in power or to be a leader of people. I don't know, but Jamie's just always surrounded by assholes. It reminds me of that moment in Spaceballs when Dark Helmet is like, am I surrounded by assholes? And everyone is all of the asshole family. Like they all raise their hands. I'm an asshole. I'm an asshole. (laughs) Yeah, it is. It's exactly like that. Um, so this will be the first of many Governor Tryon, wow, I'm such a dick moments in this episode. Yes. Uh, and, and I just trying want to shout out because... Yeah, he's, he's trying, trying our patience. He really is. He's um, trying. Uh, they were calling <laughs> him Governor <laughs> Triflin in the crowd cast. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, too. That is good. Made me laugh a lot. Um, I, I do want to say that we are going to end up 
talking a lot of shit about this character. And as is always the case, we are obviously talking about the character and not the actor. But in this case, particularly, that means that the actor is really doing, doing a good job. job. Yeah. Um, because, wow, did I hate him. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow, do I hate him so much. Yeah, he's a dick. Just a lot. So a we go lot. back to the Shurston house, and there's Bree in the parlor, in the whist parlor, <laughs> with the Shurstons. And she's like, now where's this fight going to happen? And thankfully, Mr. Shurston has a wall map that he rolls out and is like, at this river. And he points at it. And Bree, out loud like an idiot, is all like, something happens there. Something happens at that river. What is it that happened? Like, out loud. And I'm like, bitch. You're about to be burnt at the stake. <laughs> would you stop? Would you stop with this? What happened there? I know something happened. I can't there. remember. Something ha not happens. Happened. happened. Something happened there. And I'm like, no, Bree, shush. I can't remember. And then all of a sudden it flashes to her on a horse riding hell for leather to the battle scene because she's got to get there and tell them, oh, I remember. The midday ride yeah. of Brie Revere. Hey. <laughs> She's wearing the most fetching riding outfit. It's got a Sumptuous. little tiny cape. It is fabulous. And her mm -hmm. hair looks amazing and is blowing in the wind as she gallops toward her destiny. And it is uh, a shot that is so good. Like, like cheesy, only it totally earns it. It is a shot that is so good that they do it twice for no reason. Yeah, it's <laughs> one, one time too many. We understood I'm, the first oh, time. Oh, I'm down with it. I was like, yes, I want, g give me this screensaver. I just want <laughs> Sophie Skelton in that wig, riding a horse very fast in that outfit forever. Like, yeah, let's just put birthday. it on the loop. I would subscribe no. to that channel. I want your newsletter. Thank you for your service. <laughs> <laughs> so she is riding there to tell them what she actually remembered about this from being an American history student at Harvard. Yeah. Was, oh, yeah, a big fight happens there, and it's kind of maybe the spark that starts the Civil War. And now that I remember what happened, it's that the king's forces annihilate the regulators, like kill them, like just fuck them up bad. And so she rides to tell them that. And do we get anything in between? I can't remember. Is this where the, this is where the shot heard around the world happens? No, that's Fort Sumter. That's oh. later. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, this is, oh, uh, we do get a little, we are treated to something here just in the interim while she's riding her horse. Allison? I watched Emma this week. <laughs> and there were many times where I was like, when is that guy going to come out of a river? Or when is that guy going to come out of a pond? Like... <laughs> I know how Jane Austen works. Yeah. And it's that a hot man gets in a body of water and then it's like alchemy, magic. I don't know. But we're treated to Jamie. Woo! Woo! Without a shirt in a babbling brook. Mm. Mm. Yeah, he looks good. He's there for a serious purpose, though. This is he more is there for a serious purpose. That's right from the book. So obviously he is already distressed, but he's standing but they there. But they do give us a nice five-second window where we can just admire his form, well, and it and is admirable. Well, there's a pan up. There's like a, yeah, look at that Oof. part. Now look at that Oof. part. Now look at that part. That's taken all 27 of his abs and then taken his breasts. And his and devil horns or Jesus handles or whatever you call them. His 
his five different sets of shoulders. Like, mm. look, look at the wet hair. Take it all in. By the way, now I'm going to cut. This is very, I was like, hey, you know what, Daphne? Now we're even. I feel like you put you got this one in for us. So <laughs> uh, he takes his hand and he takes his dark <laughs> and he cuts his hand open. Oh. And then he and he's speaking Gaelic and he dabs blood on his brow bone and on his like his chest know, clavicle and then both of his shoulders in the sign of the cross and is obviously sort of praying or making some sort of plea of some kind. And Claire walks up and is like, first of all, she's like, Hi. Ooh. And then she's like, oh, no, no, that's not this time. Okay, never mind. Sorry, I forgot we already did that in this episode. All right, never mind. Serious face. Um, Happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> what, what did, how did God respond? And then he says, I was not talking to God. I was talking to Dougal McKenzie. Mm-hmm. Um, oh. And Claire's like, wow. I mean, given, you know, everything that happened. Uh, yet, that like, we murdered him together. Remember that thing? Remember that thing? Um, I didn't think maybe you'd want to chat with that guy in the afterlife. And Jamie's like, oh, no, I made my peace with my uncle a long time ago. And, I, <laughs> and he, taught, he taught me to fight and he taught me war. And he will help if he can. Right. So basically asking Dougal um, to be at his back um which is a thing that happens right in the books and this scene in the books and we'll talk more about this shit at the end um happens on the ridge and she finds him stark naked not wearing pants want to make sure that's clear that is Mm. a major it's my only adaptation qualm i'm not sure why the pants were necessary um (laughs) but he is at the time talking about both he's making his peace with dougal but he's also thinking about myrta because when he goes into battle he imagines and feels and believes that Myrta is on his left and Dougal is on his right. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's I think it's Myrta who's on the left, but Myrta is always there. And then Dougal, he specifically asked to go into battle with him, and it's um, a very somber, cool moment. Um, so that Plus is what that's about. Hot beefcake. I'm serious. Yeah, hot beefcake. <laughs> but seriously, though, and Emma, why wasn't anybody ever coming out of a pond? All right, I'm over it. I mean, okay. there was some running in the rain. That's what I'm saying. I thought he was going to trip and fall into like a ditch and have to stand up and have his poet shirt be all dirty and wet. <laughs> I'm, not, Come on. I'm not sure that if you if you trip face first into a puddle that it's all that hot. <laughs> uh, oh, it's hot. <laughs> Especially if you're a gentleman and everything's always pressed and perfect and then you get a little, you know what you, okay, hot, we're moving wait, on. Wait, clumsy is hot? Is that what we're saying? No, here? not clumsy. Fucking dirty and wet. Because I've done that. Like, I've definitely just ate it, like tripped over something on the sidewalk in a suit. Did you land in a full puddle and stand up and was your poet's blouse wet? Yes, in fact. <laughs> I ripped then my, hot. I ripped my pants and, like, I was Acqu- just. I according to me, hot. It's, it's, that's part of the appeal of Dick Van Dyke. Why do you think he yes. fell down all the time? I, I just be, the only thing to make him relatable. It, yeah. It's because his center of gravity was off because his dick was so big. <laughs> what? <laughs> mm, speaking my language. Oh, man. <laughs> um, chim chimney, oh. chim chimney. <laughs> I did have a note here. Uh, somebody mentioned this. I can't remember if it was on the Slack or on the Facebook page. It might have been on the Slack. Claire's hair keeps like changing between being gray and not being gray. And it's weird. Like last episode, maybe she was supposed to be wearing a fancy wig because she went to River Run and so it wasn't gray. But this time we really get to see her grays coming in and I thought it looked really good. I wish uh, they would just let her live that way. 
I agree. I think there, I mean, like if we want to try to imagine why that might be, it's possible that Claire would like powder her hair darkly or something. Mm -hmm. Certainly it was also lower light for the most part. Um, Mm -hmm. But as a haver of many gray hairs, I will say that my hair looks like it changes color all the time um, based on which way I brush it. Mm-hmm. Um, so like if it's kind of off to one side, it looks way more gray than if it's off to the other side. If I pull it straight back, then it's like, there are chunks that are black and there are chunks that are white. And, um, in this case, it was like, you could see some, some pure white and some gray and some kind of like blonde. Mm-hmm. And then all the breath, it looked great. Her wig was, in fact, all the wigs this episode were pretty aces. I Although have to there was a real missed opportunity to put Jemmy in a bad wig because bad baby <laughs> wigs also are hilarious. <laughs> They're the best wigs. Um, I will say, though, that in the last episode when she was at River Run, there was no gray. It was weird. Because I hadn't noticed it till somebody mentioned it, and I was like, eh. So m- my takeaway is maybe she has a fancy wig or, you're right, some kind of dark powder that she put on to dress up or whatever. Anyway, I like the gray, and I hope they just let her fucking rock it. Yeah, here, here. Um, and then this is when Bree shows up and is like, hey, guess what? Y'all are going to lose bad. And Jamie's like, we got to go tell Murtaugh. And Roger McKenzie, Captain McKenzie, is like, I'm going to go do it. I'll go tell him. I can get into the camp. He knows me. He knows I'm from the future. He'll listen to me. He'll believe me, right? And um, and Bree is, like, not super about that, but she also doesn't want to take anything away from Roger. And obviously, Jamie sees the sense in it because if... Murtaugh knows that Roger is a time traveler then when when Roger is like hey this is gonna happen and you know why I know this remember as opposed to just like hey here's me a random dude from the company Uh, I'm not a time traveler but someone told me that this happens (laughs) you know it's a it's a plan that makes sense Mm -hmm. he shows up in the woods so Jamie's like okay you can go but you have to leave at night so that Tryon isn't trying to see you leave and so, Mert, uh, sorry, uh, Captain McKenzie sneaks out at night and goes into the woods to the regulators' camp, and we get to see Marta Fitzgibbon, Fitzgibbons stirring his men up into a fucking frenzy, man. It's quite a speech. Yeah, he's given a big speech to his guys about to go into battle about how we will not be stepped on, and, you know, it's just very blood stirring and he's just trying to get his men excited for the big battle and i'm like oh this is really bad timing for somebody to come in and be like hey guess what you should you should all just leave (laughs) i don't i don't think this is gonna work so after murtaugh gives this speech like how is he gonna turn around and tell his guys jk just kidding let's leave (laughs) so captain mckenzie roger tries to tell him but pamplemousse is too proud uh, yeah, he also, I mean, I think some of it is pride, but some of it is, there's a very good line. This episode is very well written. There's a very good line where he says something like, Roger's like, if you just, you're going to lose, you know, you know how I know. I know, you know, I know, I know. I know, you know, you, that I know that you know that I know. And you know that I know that you know that I, that we both know because of time travel. Why um, I know. And... <laughs> If you, if they wait, if Rogers, God, this is another really good Richard Rankin scene, like just really clear, mm-hmm. intentional, good face acting. 
It's like if if you wait a couple years, if they if they wait a couple years, if you wait a couple years, we will all be fighting on the same side, right? American Revolution, which Murta knows about because again, time travel. And then Murta says, a few years. Do you have any idea? Something like, do you have any idea how long a few years can be to men who have lost everything? And I was like, oh God. Is that why every week in 2020 feels so long? God damn it. <laughs> like it just, and, and you can just see on Roger's face. He's like, well, I mean, what the fuck do I say to that? You know, mm-hmm. um, like it just, there's nothing to say to that. They're not wrong. They're right to be angry. Um, and it's just going to get worse. So even, so basically Marta is saying like, he can't tell these people just wait a couple years and we'll fight for it then because they don't have anything. It's like, mm-hmm. it's happening now. Um, so it's a, it's a very intense little scene. Good job to both of them. And then Governor Chyan's letter shows up, his terms, and his Montage terms are... time. Yeah, his terms are basically like, uh, yeah, okay, great, I got your letter. Cool, 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 cool. You give up now or we'll kill you. <laughs> That's essentially what his letter is like. Is like my terms are this: you give up and we win. That those are my terms. If you surrender and we arrest you, then I won't blow you to smithereens. How about that? So make a choice. So his terms are pretty pretty hard. And then uh, Roger tries to talk some sense in a pamplemousse, can't do it, and makes his way starts making his way back to the encampment when he runs into a family on the edge of the regulators camp so these are family members that have been following some of the men and there are women hanging up laundry and shit and one of the women is do you remember when roger was on the boat and he saved that woman and her baby from stephen bonnet because of the smallpox and we realized that that person was one of his ancestors morag mckenzie oh yeah yeah that's her Oh, and shit. so he's he's like, fuck yeah, Morag, how you been? Morag's like, I'm cool. Damn and they it. talk to each other for a minute, but then he goes to give her a hug because he's happy to see she's doing well. And then here comes her husband, big dick bag. Before we get to big dick bag, I want to say bag. something about this is another like really, really well adapted scene. Um, and I'm saving most of my in the book stuff for the end. But in this case, this scene in the books is a little bit weird because Roger, I think, kisses her on the forehead um, because he just sort of can't help. Or maybe it's on the mouth, but it's like obviously n- not sexual. It's um, mm-hmm. it's like a big uh, so emotional excited. moment for him. And instead, yeah. they just convey this by letting Richard Rankin be really good at his job. So he gets to tell her like... I have a son now. He's named Jeremiah as well. My father's name was Jeremiah. And and Morag says it's a good, strong name. And he says, yes, it is. And, of course, it's a family name. And that's why his father was named Jeremiah, um, because he was named for presumably father, grandfather, ancestor, somebody. And this is that first Jeremiah McKenzie that we know of. So it's like Jeremiah mm-hmm. to Jeremiah. It's very cool. And then... Um, she drops her laundry and he leans down to pick it up for her and they bonk heads really hard. And he says, Oh no, I'm so sorry. Did I hurt you? And she says, Oh no, I'm fine. I have a thick skull. And he says, yeah, yeah, 
I have a, I have a thick skull too. It, it, it runs in the family and you can just see he's so delighted. (laughs) So then it turns to, you've got, listen, I'm, you have to get out. This is going to be really bad. And I would like to continue. He doesn't say this, but I would like to continue existing. So, um, you can't die and your son can't die because if you die, I just go blink and I just won't be exist anymore. That's what I was asking. I asked if this was a back to the future situation. Like if they die, does he just disappear? Like there goes Roger. Well, if you'll remember, it was a, that was a big debate in season two because the reason that Claire had to ask Jamie to not kill Blackjack Randall is if he killed Blackjack Randall, then in theory Frank wouldn't exist. Um, so, so yeah. Um, and but we find been, out that Frank actually comes from somebody else, right? No, it's just he doesn't. He doesn't kill Blackjack Randall before. Oh, finding yeah, it's, out. Mm-hmm. No, because it's, it's his, his brother. brother. It comes mm-hmm. from his brother. Yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, uh, anyway, Patty, so he's saying, listen, you have to get the fuck out. And she says, I have, we don't have a home to go back to anymore. Again, hammering home that the regulators, like this isn't a fight that they're doing for the hell of it. It's because so many people have lost everything. Um, and she's pregnant and he's talking to her. And all of a sudden we hear this voice that's like, get your hands off of my wife. And then there's a hard cut, and we cut away on a suspenseful voice-first entrance. Yes, it was definitely purse-first. And so we cut to Jamie getting ready for battle, and Tryon's got a gift for him. Hey, Janine, what do you think that gift is? Uh, more uh, Tryon is patience. That's the only joke I got right now. Oh, Hilarious. No, it's a coat. Oh, What color, what color do you think that coat oh, is? Oh, fuck no. A yeah. red coat? Fuck oh, yeah. no. He's like, I think you'll cut a dashing figure in this coat. And Jamie's my... all like, barf, barf, barf. <laughs> You're one of my best colonels. I can't have you mistaken for a regulator, which is like, which is a lot like saying they have to know who to shoot at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My fucking uh, again, I'm like, in like a permanent scowl right now. This fucking oh, sucks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, Sam is, um, this is going to become a recurring theme, uh, but especially it's like from this point here on out, um, Sam is very, very good in this episode. I don't know if I would say it's the best he's ever been because I get a little some... minor quibble with it because it, it sometimes, especially after the big event, it's a little bit too much watching the gears working for me. Oh, I, I but I, I think this part the jacket part is crazy good. So good. So yeah. good. You just, it's all, you can see all over his face that he is desperately trying to figure out a way to say no, and he cannot. There is no, he, you can see him being like, what if I did, what, but if, d- z- mm-hmm. d- uh, oh God. And then he puts the coat on and it's like, it's, I mean, it's like he's fucking being whipped all over again. Oh, yeah. Like you mm-hmm. just, it's just the oh. tightness and there's a lot of good jacking. It's like he's been watching season one Frank episodes, <laughs> like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. just for reference. He there's a lot of very very good jaw acting, um, and he puts that coat on and it's like oh fuck. Gross. And there's a really good like throwaway shot to John Quincy Myers, and he just kind of like like looks at the ground, like he doesn't 
like it's disrespectful to look at Jamie that way. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he's trying to do him a favor by not looking at it. It's a very good, that actor, I think his name is Kyle Reese. I'll have to look it up. Um, has not a ton to do this episode, but every scene he's in, he is great. He's doing a lot of nonverbal acting. Mm-hmm. Um, like literally, which frankly, fucking everybody in this episode is doing great. Everybody is good. Um, uh, including uh, the no-name guest star, this guy they just pulled in <laughs> off the street to play Buck McKenzie. The guy who's about to beat the shit out of Roger. Oh, dickbag. Lay your hands off my wife, whatever. They have a whole man conversation, and you can see that this guy, <laughs> Buck McKenzie's kind of a dick to Morag. Like, he's abusive, and he's grabbing her and trying to shove her aside, and Roger can't abide it, so he takes him moment and fucking waits for this guy to kind of turn around when he's grabbing his wife and then sucker punches the fuck out of him. Bad news though, because he's surrounded by Buck's friends. So Roger's going to get his ass kicked. They go Buck wild on his ass. What? (laughs) There it is. Um, They find out he's from, they like, they pull the thing out of his pocket and they, no, they they punch him onto the ground and he falls and it falls out of his pocket and they see it. So they the little yellow flower, right? Oh, so the, they know the he's badge. yes. They know that he is fighting for the king. Fuck. Mm-hmm. And well. and then they say something like, "You're not going to be able to you like you won't. No one's going to know what happened because you're not going to be able to tell him." It hits him in the face with the butt of a rifle. Julie, yeah. did that guy? Uh, this is we're going to try to do like a dramatic recreation of what happened okay. after we watched this episode. Okay. Um, which the people of the crowdcast were like, no, do it now, do it now. Um, you ha- we want to see the reaction now. So Julie's watching. What, what, what did you think as you were watching? What did you think of that actor, Julie? When I was watching it the first time, I was like, huh, this guy's a real asshole. He's kind of big, burly, and just kind of a dick. Man, I hate this guy. And that's kind of it. Yeah, okay. Um, so... Did did he look at all familiar to you? Did you think like, hmm? Not really. Not the first time I watched it. I was like, huh. Well, they found this big Scottish dude. Okay. He's got this kind of silly wig on. It was like big black kind of curly, like almost a Hagrid wig, but a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. I was just like, uh, okay. Yeah. No, he's, he's here to be a kind of villain. Oh, he's going to kick the shit out of Roger. That's really where it laid until the end of the episode. What's going on here? Uh, you're about to find out. <laughs> so we get to the end of the episode and everyone is in the crowdcast is very excited because at the, and they've been talking about it all episode at this point, they just want to watch Julie watch the credits. And just before the episode ends, Julie's camera goes out. <laughs> so first of all, they're like, wait, did Julie see the end of the episode? And I was like, yes, yes, she did. I can still hear it. Like, yes, she saw the end of the episode, but Presumably, Julie is trying to get her camera back up so is not watching the credits. So Julie does Mm -hmm. not see the name of the actor who played Buck McKenzie. So then we get back on and I was like, all right, the people want to know. The people want to know your reaction to this. So, Julie, what did you think of this actor? And we have a conversation. Uh, And then I start asking some leading questions and all of a sudden she's like, wait. (laughs) Go ahead, Julie. Is it Gilf? (laughs) What the fuck? Yep. Yep. What uh, the Graham fuck? McTavish, they de-aged his forehead a little bit. Pretty good de-aging. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's not the Irishman. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good de-aging. Uh, they put him in like a very bushy wig, also a good wig. Um, lots of facial hair. But 
so when you hear that voice, presumably some people, and I have to admit that it was spoiled for me, so I knew that it was coming. So I can't mm-hmm. tell you whether or not I would have recognized him by the voice. I would alone. not have. I um, would not have. I but didn't. They have him, but they have him say that line first so that, you know, people who recognize his voice know what's coming, and then there he is. Now, it, this is important, Janine. Get your oh shit gun ready because <laughs> um, Buck McKenzie. Uh, is a Mackenzie, right? That's how Morag yeah. gets her last name. They're married. He's a Mackenzie. Um, so we know from season two that Roger's ancestors, because he's a Mackenzie, Claire mm-hmm. did her detective work, um, he is descended from Dougal Mackenzie and Galus Duncan. Oh. Um, so Buck Mackenzie is the kid that that Galus was pregnant with oh shit right presumably when so it would have been you know circus season one yeah um which i which is why they had to de-age him right like because he doesn't uh he doesn't look that young um so yeah so he's the what they call the witches get um and there will be more buck mckenzie in the future Hmm. I th- I think um, wow. if memory serves, um, but yeah, he is a not a that, nice person. That's some interesting like Cloud Atlas shit we got going on, <laughs> right? <laughs> so like... that is why that's why they brought. Presumably, they just also wanted to hang out with Grant McTavish. Well, yeah, because yeah. the dude is he seems like the, the coolest guy in the world. <laughs> he just seemed extremely cool. Yeah. So they brought him back to play this part, and the whole crowd cast was like when is julie gonna notice when is she gonna figure it out and then as the scene progressed and julie didn't figure it out they were like wait wait is she is she not gonna figure it out and then there was a debate whether it would be better to see her react or to hear her react on the podcast and the vote was c so to those of you who are listening i'm sorry that you didn't get to watch julie go like have her light bulb moment but it was uh pretty cool oh wait it is it's somehow somehow uh, having gr- and they kept it a secret, right? Like this wasn't leaked at all. Um, somehow having Gilf come back to play one of Roger's ancestors and then kick the crap out of Roger, who is just—he's just always getting the crap kicked out of him. Isn't he, he really is getting oh, the shit beat guy. out of him. He's all having the time. a he's having a rough go. Yeah. Um, anyway, they—it uh, uh, really says something about this episode that it's like like the fifth most shocking thing that happens in this episode, right? Like it's like a footnote in this episode and any other episode would be like, oh my God, Graham McTavish is back. And there it's like, oh yeah, and also Graham McTavish is back. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Just saying, he's there. There's just so much going on here. And now for the return to the plot, it's time for this battle to happen. Fuck. Um, Jamie walks towards his tent to come tell Claire they're about to leave and he's wearing the red coat. She sees him in the red coat and gives it a hearty Jesus H. Roosevelt Christ because she can't believe what she's seeing, right? Yeah. And it's sad. And she says goodbye to him. And what what was it that says? I was going to say good luck or something. And she goes something about soldier. Good luck, I guess. And then she says, I love you, soldier. And they have a very good smooch. Like it's a really good emotional spooch. Well, also, and I'm sorry, I got distracted for a minute because of something in the slack. Did you talk about the very best Jesus H. Roosevelt Christ in the history of the show? Was that this one? Yeah, Yeah. I did. She did say it. She let one out. Yes, I did say it. And it was like. 
Jesus H. Roosevelt Christ. And it was great. <laughs> Just kind of to herself. It was great. It was really like, oh, God, you felt it? Because she knew what that must mean to him and what it must cost him. And oh. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. So they have this really good smooch. And he says, good luck is fine. I love you is even better. And it's very nice. Oh, and then this is another line straight from the books. He turns back and he says, one day you and I will be parted. But it will not be today. And then off oh. he goes. And it is. Yes. Yeah. That's it's good. like, boom. And then Bear McCreary's score gets really good. This is a, yep. Janine, you should maybe watch this one. This is I a very good episode. I don't, I don't think I should watch it anytime soon, though, because like, it sounds like those rela- like the relationship of, of Claire and Jamie right now is just hitting me in the right spot where I'm going to feel super lonely at the end of it. So I'm not going to oh, do it. Oh, all, right. all right. But it, like, I'm loving this happy birthday thing and like all this. Stuff. <laughs> Still going back to that, huh? I can't fucking get over it. It's so right. good. <laughs> Well, you should at least watch that part. Yeah. Jesus. Again and again. Over. And so over. Uh, the battle begins, and we get everybody lined up, but it's like Preston Pans, except they didn't get the sneak around right. So the regulators are just kind of actually just straight up trying to walk right out of the woods into this field. And the militia's like, um, cannons. Um, first line, just start shooting. And so they're just killing these guys as they come out of the woods. Um, and he also, there's another really good line in here. Before it happens, Jamie is like, hey, so this is, we we have to just scare the crap out of them, but like, be, take prisoners, save souls. And then he goes, and watch for Mackenzie, because he's still missing. <gasps> mm, that's right. Roger's still missing. Yeah. So um, they just kind of wander out of the woods and Tryon has to yell at Jamie to fire. Everybody else is firing and Jamie is not. So none of his men are. So all of the people in the militia are just like staring at Jamie, waiting for him to do something. And they're incredibly uncertain. And Tryon says something like fire on them or fire on me. And as one, all of the people in the crowd cast were like, fire on him. Fire on him. <laughs> yeah. Come on, just kill him. But he didn't. He's a man of honor. So yeah. they start shooting at the regulators, and then the regulators do what I'm sure they were trying to do to begin with, which is draw the redcoats into the forest, where they have a slight advantage, right, because it's more guerrilla tactics, and they know the woods better and all that stuff. But it, you know it's what? It's very it just, Scottish. It's very like, let's get them in here and then kick the crap out of them one by one. And at one point, Jamie says something like, fight as they do and he starts using his gun like kind of like a cudgel like he's knocking people out instead of killing him there's a very good action sequence where it's him and john quincy myers um somebody said using all the techniques he learned from the man in the bear suit just like running (laughs) like running and taking people out with the butts of their guns and knocking people out left and right without actually killing anybody and it's great on the other hand the regulators are taking rocks and beating in the skulls of the redcoats that they catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is extremely visceral. There's a, there's a scene where like a redcoat comes running into what's seemingly abandoned clearing. And then like six regulators stand up out of nowhere, like out of the bushes. You can tell that these are Murta tactics, basically. Mm-hmm. Like it's the kind of stuff Jamie would do, which means it's the, also the kind of stuff Murta would do. It's mm-hmm. upsetting. It is a very good, very brutal battle scene where it's just the the actual redcoats killing people with no concern at all and Jamie and his company doing their very best to just knock enough people out that they can be done. Mhm. <coughs> really and it it becomes pretty clear pretty quick that the regulators are overwhelmed. They just don't have enough people. 
And so the militia wins for good or ill. And, oh, Isaiah Morton gets shot from behind. Allison, did we see the person do it, or is it just that he's standing there and it happens? Okay. He's running into the woods, and all of a sudden he gets shot in the shoulder and he falls forward. So then with that storyline, they somebody picks him up and drags him into the tent, where Bree is making for a very poor excuse for Marsley. <laughs> Yeah, um, Bree is terrible at hospital. She is not good. <laughs> she's doing her best and she is helping. She's but trying she's like, real hard. Oh. You can see every time somebody comes in bleeding, she's like, oh, God. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and so Isaiah comes in and Claire's like, you've been shot through the lung from behind. You're not going to die today. Let me get my penicillin or something. She goes over and she starts filling up her syringe. Um, let's put a pin in this. Allison, where did the syringe come from? The syringe came from the, this is a, we're going to talk about the syringe more in the, in the books. Um, but the syringe came from Dr. Rawlings medical kit. So yeah. it's, and it's glass, right? Like it is an incredibly delicate, rare instrument. She doesn't mm-hmm. have 90 of them. So mm-hmm. both the penicillin, which she just has a little vial of, and she has a line to Brie earlier in the episode where she's like, my secret weapon, penicillin, think how many lives I could have saved if I had this at Preston Pans. So we're supposed to have Preston Pans on the mind. So mm-hmm. she's got it and she's giving some, like Brie is, Isaiah is stable and he's all bandaged up and Brie is, um, giving uh, him whatever some treatment of some kind, and uh, what the Brown Town contingent is also in the tent, having been banged up or whatever. And Claire yep. has her mad, angry ass Brown Town guy, and she's got her syringe and she's got um, her little um, bottle full of penicillin water, and is giving Brown Town a shot of it. And he says, I hope you didn't waste any of this medicine on that piece of garbage over there, or whatever it is, he says. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's like, uh, uh, but, and all of a sudden she starts to put the pieces together. She's like, wait, he was shot from behind. And he's like, yeah, because he turned around, he was running away like a coward. And Isaiah's like, no, I wasn't. This guy knows. And some random dude that they cut to for no reason is like, don't look at uh, me. <laughs> Um, and Claire's like, oh, wait, you fucking shot him, you piece of garbage. What the fuck? You shot this dude while he was running into battle, asshole Brown Town. And then asshole Brown Town is like, you, no woman talks to me like that. And he knocks the syringe out of her hand and crushes it underneath his boot. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. And Claire fucking lets out this, like, like... Like, what have you done? Like sob of shock and despair because it's she like literally just got done being like, man, I'm going to be so much better at my job now because I can help fight infections. This is great. Like I'm I know how to be a, a battlefield surgeon. I am extremely well prepared for this. I know exactly what I'm doing. And now I have the one tool that I need to make me effective. And he crushes it because he's human garbage. Mm-hmm. It is ups and crash. I, I will say um, it's uh, uh, not. It felt a little on the nose for this moment. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, not. I mean, it is. Imp- it's this is going to be a very important plot wise. Um, it's very important that the syringe got broken. Mm-hmm. Um, although it's not going to come in handy in a little bit here. Uh, penicillin wouldn't be any use and uh, for what's coming later in this episode. Uh oh, that's true. <laughs> Yeah. 
Oh God, I don't even want to talk about it. We okay. Gotta. So I'm going to stop. Okay. So Jamie's out in the woods in his bright red coat, looking like a fucking six foot four lobster, just waiting to get shot in that <laughs> coat, in that coat. Oh, no. And then all of a sudden he turns around and is Murtaugh just standing there. No, like, how did he, they come face to face? He's in the woods and it's like, you've blocked it from your mind. I love it. Um, He's in the woods and he sees one of the dudes, one of the, from the prison dudes. Mm-hmm. And it's like, hey, it's me. Don't shoot at me. I'm not, I don't want to hurt you. I have no quarrel with you. And the guy's like wearing that coat. Of course you have a quarrel with me in that coat. Ugh. And Jamie's mm-hmm. like, no, I really don't. And his gun is down. And the guy's like, you're, you're the, the government's taken everything from me. He has grievances, a list of grievances. And mm-hmm. out of nowhere, lightning fast, he pulls out his pistol and he's getting ready to shoot Jamie in the fucking face. When the butt of a rifle comes in from out of frame and That's whacks right. him right on the temple. And he goes down like a sack of potatoes and then kind of rolls down the hill and mm-hmm. then goes like dick first into a tree and is out. Um, which is what he deserves. And mm-hmm. Jamie's like, holy crap. Blah, blah, blah. And he looks up and it's Murtaugh. <laughs> and it's Murtaugh. And, uh, and Jamie says, like, I released you from your oath. You didn't have to save me. And Murtaugh just kind of smiles and then, boom, gets shot right in the chest. Oh, um, fuck. Yeah, we hear a gunshot from behind Jamie and it's one of the shit shoveling kids. And he says something like, I did what I was you ready. said, Colonel. I didn't show any fear. Um, like, I was ready to kill because of that conversation that they had about how it's not like hunting, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he was ready to shoot somebody. So he shoots Murta. And, and it happens. Aaron, really fast. It's, so fa- it's a very, very good death scene. And oh. Duncan McCroy is very good in it. But it is so fast. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is why it's so brutal. Oh, like I'm getting a little bit well, dusty thinking like, about it. And, and that's that's kind of speaking to war too, right? Like these moments. Exactly. Like I oh mean, it God. is it is. Um, there is no question of what happens to him, right? Like they go, they kind of stumble together, and then Jamie tries to kind of lower him into the tree. And there's so much good, like subtle face acting happening from both of them. Like really, really, really good. Um, and, and Murtaugh says something about, I didn't release myself from my oath to your mother, so it wouldn't have mattered. I would oh. never, no one can make, could ever make me break a promise to her, uh, not even you, right? Mm-hmm. And they're just kind and of... And Jamie's frantically, like, trying to stop the blood coming out of his chest, and he's, like, looking at him, and he's oh. very obviously out of his mind, like not accepting what's happening and so he asks these people to help him um we can, he we screams can. like help me help me which you never see jamie do right yeah um we're, we, we're blowing past something that i have to make sure we don't skip uh because it's a big moment in the books um mm-hmm. hold on just a second i want to make sure i have the exact quote right um marta i'm trying to just pull it up through the old google as a um, here we go. I was hoping that I wasn't going to have to dig it up in the books. All right. So he's lying there and like ripples of pain and shock and sorrow and remorse. And we see as Jamie is holding the, trying to force the blood back into his body that he's oh. wearing the pin that he gave jo- a ma- like a twin of the pin that he gave Jocasta, mm-hmm. um, on his chest. And he says, 
Dinna be afraid, Abelach. It does not hurt a bit to die. And then he dies. And that is a line straight from the book um, when Myrta dies at Culloden. So that is the same line that Myrta said. And we don't find that out until much later when Claire finally has... Um, works up the courage to ask Jamie what happened to Murta, and he tells her, or maybe we just see it in his memory. I don't remember. It's it happens in Voyager, so it's um, later. Anyway, um, it does not hurt a bit to die, and then he dies, um, and it is very, very good. God damn <laughs> mm-hmm. It's so uh, fast. God damn it. Um, and I was so I was really touched honestly that they brought that line back because it was such a it's such a good moment in the books and I'm glad that they pulled it forward for this one so hey before we move on pour one out cheers to the pamplemousse to the pamplemousse a great character a great actor patron saint of our podcast yes um just a a real one as they say a real one um since we can't do an in-person wake are we gonna do like a digital wake at some point yeah, we promised the people that yeah. um, I, Janine. I don't re- know if you remember making this decision during our Janine's Corner, the Janine Experience, that we did on Crowdcast at three o'clock in the morning. Uh, I remember. I Shady. Remember, I remember most things we did. Well, we talked about doing a virtual happy hour for the Drunk Cast on Friday. Oh. Um. Good. So, uh, and that was unrelated to this episode but also um at that point it had been spoiled for me that this is what happens um so uh i think on friday whether it's in crowdcast or zoom or however we'll figure out the technical stuff and we'll put it on twitter on facebook on our slack whatever we will do open to anybody uh we will do some kind of uh, digital Wake. Did, didn't we talk about how maybe we shouldn't be putting that out out in complete public links like that? <laughs> oh yeah, no, we won't. Um, yeah, no, that was that happened in our Zoom party last night with our pals. Yeah, yeah we mm-hmm. won't make it um, public on Zoom in that way. I mean, okay. like to open to all listeners, not just Patreon people, is what I'm saying. Um, okay. We'll figure out how to communicate that. Okay. Uh, Tech TBD, but we will have our digital wake uh, because we cannot have the wake that we wanted to have, which we have been talking about doing a Murta wake if he died this season for months, and obviously that can't happen right now. However, um, when all of this is done, uh, when everybody is healthy and the world is back on its feet in some way, we who knows when that will be, we will... Have a wake at the Oasis. You are all welcome to attend. Um, mm-hmm, Kara, mm-hmm. come on in from the UAE. Use you those know. miles. Whatever you got to do. Um, we will uh, toast the Pamplemousse in the fashion he deserves with lots and lots of whiskey. We'll, um, we'll talk about how much we will miss his happy face because I will miss his happy face. I will miss his happy face. I will miss his happy face. We'll talk about... Banging the ladies' maid, and we'll talk about his dirty knees in France, and we'll talk about uh, we'll talk about all of it. We will talk about all of it um, oh, because be so man, many good memories, so many good yeah. memories yeah. we have to go through. Um, it's just gonna it's just gonna be like 
Karen Carpenter singing, we've only just met. Or no, it'll be like, uh, it'll be like that gag in um, The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt when... um, Wrong voice to men's song. Yeah. When (laughs) Titus starts singing at the funeral. Close your eyes. Make a wish. And it takes him all the way to the chorus to figure out that he's singing uh, I'll Make Love to You and not The End of the Road. Um, (laughs) Wrong voice to men's song. Wrong voice to men's song. That happens often, though. I do that all the time with that song. And now we've come. To the end end of the the road road. And I can't let go It's unnatural You belong to me I belong to you Okay, that that was definitely for Pample Moose Mountains of rain and sun yeah. So, anyway, he's a real oh one. Uh, however, at this point, Julie knows for sure that Murta is dead. I know for yes. sure that Murta is dead. John Quincy Myers know that Murta. There's knows, a squirrel up in that everybody tree. Everybody knows he's dead, but Jamie, yeah. except for Jamie, who immediately, as Julie said, starts screaming for help. First, he just kind of God. Sam is really good in the scene. First, he just kind of goes help, and then he says help. <laughs> and then he starts yelling, help, and people come running. And there's, again, this guy who plays John Quincy Myers is so, you could see on his face, he's like, oh, God, this is terrible. Yeah, <laughs> this is like, no. he's not okay. coming back, bro. Yeah, yeah, we're going to run, we're going to run him. We're going to run him to the infirmary, buddy. We are, but, um, it's oh, not good. God. By the time they get him there, Murta is totally gray. Like, He's like bled out. Like could not be more obviously dead. And they go rushing in and God, like Sam is really fucking good. He has this, you remember in season two when he found out that Black Jack Randall was still alive and it was the best Sam moment of the whole series so far when he had this look on his face that was like kind of manic and he went, this is wonderful news and he, you were just like oh my god somebody needs to get that man a chair this is not good like, mm-hmm. J- like J- James Alexander Michael Mackenzie Fraser is a an, like an emotionally intuitive guy who is capable of thinking and feeling a great deal but man when pushed too far it's like you're just like oh shit oh this is not good and that is what this looks like he has this look on his face where he's like it's everything's gonna be fine Claire's just gonna fix him Claire, so they bring him in do what you do please heal him like all this stuff and it's like oh uh, jamie mm, no and then claire claire takes one look at him and it's just like and she and brie stare at each other and brie is just like and in this case it's not brie and like brie being like oh god blood she's like oh holy shit she has a great hospital moment here where she realizes that her dad is losing his mind and that this is not something that everybody maybe needs to see. So she, not only that, but fucking the regulator enemy is in their tent, right? So she kind of slowly turns around and draws this curtain so that yeah. nobody can see what's Just, happening. It's a really good, and it's a really good moment from Sophie Skelton, too, because you can mm-hmm. watch her. Like, she is obviously, Sophie, Sophie Skelton doesn't have a ton to do in this episode other than mm-hmm. ride that horse looking just fucking beautiful. <laughs> Paul Revere the fuck out of it. With her beautiful coat. Um, but in this, in that moment, you can see like she is extremely concerned about her dad, 
but she is also grieving, right? Like she's he's one of the first people that she met when she came back in time, right? Like that was all about the same time. And she's um, also still worried about Roger, but she has this very mm-hmm. practical impulse. So she pulls the curtain. It's just, she's very good. It's all happens mm-hmm. in this little moment. And Jamie is just like, heal him. Go, please, come on, go oh. ahead. Do what you do, do what you do. And literally everybody in the tent knows that he is dead except for Jamie, who just can't accept it. And Claire just says, I'm sorry. And then he looks down at the corpse and says, basically it's like hey take backsies uh i do not release you from your oath expecting him to just sit up and be like okay well i guess i can't die then it's just mm-hmm. christ yeah you see why these people tough. wanted you to watch this one now janine yeah i also know why you wanted me to get that beer fucking hell yep so then and julie tell me if i'm skipping anything but like this is when jamie has had it up to here yeah so he storms out of the tent and who does he see but Governor Tryon it? Oh, Governor Tryon. Trying his patience right now. Fucking yeah. A. It's not good. Does he get punched in the dick? No, He's he doesn't punch anybody. White oh, as a sheet. Like, could not more obviously have had a huge shock. I don't know. First of all, the makeup team did a great job. Very good. Yeah. Like, everybody in that tent has blood spattered on them. Like, like obviously blood they've tried to wash off like it's been thinned out right like it's not like they're all bleeding they're just they're just everything is bloody claire's hands are bloody and then jamie is just i assume some his, of it was both of his up. hands were bloody remember because yeah. it trying yeah. to stop murtaugh's oh. bleeding so he's got two red hands and his face is all white it's oh. very like um will all green great neptune's ocean wash this blood clean from my hand know this my hand will rather the multitudinous seeds incarnadine like it's very um lady literally literally his blood is on his hands oh um you know but he sees trying and trying is like that old phrase well done sir good job jolly jolly yes and jamie's like bbc biscuits crumpets we are wearing coats bloody da and jamie's like oh holy shit you it's really frankly amazing like a like good job jay good job him same human but also good job jamie that he didn't just straight up murder that guy that's what i right there that's what i thought was about to happen i thought he was just you can tell he wants to no he says basically is like oh so what you want to do is celebrate that you turned your cannons on your own people and murdered people it was a bloodbath for no reason other than that you wanted glory and Tryon is like excuse me and Jamie's like I said what I said he actually yeah. says it's something like um, there is the law and there is what is done and it's oh Sam is so fucking good in this scene just like mm-hmm. vibrating with anger uh, takes off his coat and throws it in the dirt and Tryon says you've performed the service I asked of you. So I will not hold your impudence against you. Basically reminding him like, Hey, by the way, I can still take your land away. So you should probably watch your mouth. Jamie is like, well, I have paid my debt to you now and I'm done with you and the crown. And he storms off and it's, and then like collapses by a fire and we see his hands and he's just like trying not to weep and shaking. And it is so upsetting. And he takes like, 15 seconds for himself by that fire on his knee with one fist in the ground where he has like kind of a choked sob. But then he's like, okay, okay, swallow it, 
swallow it. All right, stand up, move on. And then he just stands up, kind of shakes it off, and moves away. And And he sees Brianna, who is just standing and staring at the woods that her husband is not coming out of. And Uh, he's like, oh, yeah, let's go look for him. (laughs) We should probably, like, I can't lose another, it's never said out loud, but you can see Mm. in his face where he's like, well, I can't lose another fucking person today, so I guess we better go find your dumb fuck husband and figure out what the (laughs) fuck happened to him. Yep. Because, holy shit, like, we can't, like, uh, this is extremely bad. Yeah. So, so they all they wander go. out into the woods. It, well, his militia, specifically speaking, I think a lot of people from Fraser's Ridge, it felt like. And they're kind of wandering Plus around, Claire like asking Brie. people, yeah. yeah, asking people who are out there, like recovering or trying to find stuff. Have you seen Captain McKenzie? Have you seen Captain McKenzie? Like asking everyone, nothing, nothing. And then they come into this clearing with this enormous oak tree in it with three people hanging from it. No. And there's, and he says, um, there's a, there's this very pompous, um, British officer in a red coat. Like the second in command. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, what is this? And he's like, this is regulated trash. They were to be executed. They were blah, 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 blah. Crumpets tea, the queen. (laughs) Um, Right? (laughs) Stiff up a lip. (laughs) And Jamie, first of all, is outraged because again, like they're just Extra judicial. This is murder. Murder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And he looks at the tree and all of a sudden he sees, and this is something we skipped in the when we were talking about the scene. Oh yeah, that's he right. He sees a white handkerchief poking out of one of these bodies pockets. And Jamie, when Roger was leaving said, hide your little frilly button in your pocket. So no one knows your militia. And if they give you any problem, take out this handkerchief and wave it. And tell them to bring you to me for parlay or whatever. So the second he sees that handkerchief, he knows that the person hanging in the tree is Roger, which the only reason we he has a bag over his face. Mm-hmm. All three people have bags over their heads. Um, so, Wait. yeah. So Roger's Wait. hanging in the tree. Roger's so dead? We, we don't know because it ends, the, the, the episode ends with them pulling that body down, but we never see his face. And there's this... Um, like again everybody just bringing their fucking a game sophie skelton looks like god i don't know like she's been stabbed like she's in shock the usually the way that people act when they don't realize they're gonna get shot and then they get shot you know Mm -hmm. like or someone gets stabbed from behind it's like uh, utter horror um it's extremely upsetting uh, and they lower him to the ground, and that is the end of the episode. Duh, fuck, fuck, fuck that. No, what? But once again, we didn't see his face. Oh so God. I assume he's dead, but we don't know 100% for sure. What the fuck? I know. Thus this ends was, the Ballad of Roger Mack. This mm-hmm. is a horrifying episode. Oh, yes. my God. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh. Yes. It is, it is a horrifying episode is exactly what Mm -hmm. it is. Um, it's the bag over the head is a nice touch. Um, you know what? We'll save that for in the books. Um, cause we're going to do a, we are going to do some in the books. Um, so that's, 
<laughs> that's the episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, and then it cuts to the credits, and it's like, we kick and punch and fight, and then we kick and then we punch and <laughs> yeah. Not really. Um, no, that doesn't happen. Wasn't it um, slow? It was It was more of a dirge at the end, yeah. Yeah. Or maybe it was mm-hmm. silent? I was don't remember. Was it silent? It was something like that. It was hmm. very, very somber. Um, and upsetting. Like, up, upsetting. Um, Fuck. Yeah. This was an episode, I still hope they... I hope they do it. This is the episode where my hope was that they were going to switch out the credits and have Roger singing them instead. Um, Maybe next week. We'll see. Um, And that is what I mean, Janine, when I say that I think my, my guess is that the next episode we will see some of what happened between Roger getting a gun to the face, like getting knocked out by Buck McKenzie and hanging from that tree. Although maybe not because we don't really need to know all that much. Right. Like he, they obviously knocked him unconscious and then put him in some kind of situation where they thought he was a regulator and he was executed. Um, mother fucker. Oh my God. That's going to be such a hard episode. Oh my God. Yeah. (sighs) So Julie, when we were watching it, said at the very beginning when Roger was singing mm-hmm. Clementine so beautifully, she said, oh, shit, is Roger going to die? Oh, fuck. And then 20 minutes later, something happened with Murta. I don't remember what. Oh, and no. she went, oh, God, no, is Murta going to die? Oh. And then, <laughs> and the whole time I was like, I'm not... I'm not going to say anything. And, and I was just like stone faced. And as it was happening, the people in the crowd cast were like, Allison, good job. Good acting. That's really good. acting. <laughs> good job. That's good face acting. That's funny. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and twice, twice at one, uh, two points in the episode. I was like, boy, they are really leaning into this, making me think Roger's going to die shit. Like I said it twice. And I was then, like, why do they? Why do they want me to think Roger's going to die so bad? Well, Is Roger going to die? <laughs> that's why this. I think it's so devious, right? The all that you're absolutely right that the setup, especially with the title card. The mm-hmm. setup is supposed to make you think Roger is in terrible danger. And then mm-hmm. you keep thinking that based on the way they're filming the scenes. And then Murtaugh dies. And because mm-hmm. Roger, after he gets knocked out, just never comes back, you sort of forget, right? Mm-hmm. Until they go looking for him. And even at that point, you're like, well, Murtaugh already died. Like, what is the, he's just going to be prisoner or something. And then he's hanging from a tree, hanging from a tree. Mm-hmm. It's so, it's so upsetting. Tony Graffia wrote this episode and I think she did just a fucking phenomenal job. Thanks, Tony. Just really, really good. Um, just, just really like a, like a top 10 episode for sure. Um, on all counts, well acted, well directed. Um, even, God, even the wigs were good. <laughs> yep. You know, we can't always say that. Even the wigs were good. The wigs were good. The glamp tents were good. Like even there was good like, boning. Good boning. There's the even the B story, I guess, which is Isaiah Morton getting getting shot. Is it's you know it's brief, but it's handled really well. And then uh, plotting wise, there's some plot stuff I want to talk about when we do the in the book section. But Julie, before God, I wish I could remember what we did in the episode where Frank died. Like I, did I, we did we do scales or did we hold them in respect? 
No, I mean, I think we should still do scales. I think we did scales, okay. but I just, I feel like maybe we need like a minute. I know I've already given a really terrible fake eulogy and obviously we're, st- we're going to do the wake not once, but twice. But, um, do you have any like overarching Pamplemousse thoughts that you want to share before we move on to the end of the episode stuff like we usually do? Thank you for continued excellence. Like, Duncan LaCroix, you're probably most of the reason why I continue to keep watching this show after the first season. Like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'll miss you, Pamplemousse. I will. I'll just say, um, you know, I was so thrilled when they brought this character back because having someone that, first of all, that, the character of Murta is a great character in the books, but it's, he's so much more fleshed out in the show. And it's not just because he was around for longer. This was true in season two um, as well. When he became, when they looped him in on the time travel and mm-hmm. um, he sort of had this battle of wills with Jamie and Claire and it was fighting against his instincts and he became this very, very important figure in the show as like the only person that Jamie and Claire could both be honest with other than each other. Um, So finding a way to keep him around was a real stroke of brilliance. Um, But honestly, even if it weren't for what it allowed them to do with the adaptation and for the really great stuff they were able to do with Myrta and Jocasta, um, it was worth it just to keep a very good actor around for as long as possible. And I can't mm-hmm. wait to see what Duncan LaCroix does in the future. Um, but he was excellent here until the very end. That death scene like could not have been played better. Um, it was just perfect. Uh, so thank you, mm-hmm. Duncan, for um, being the show's first ever nickname. Um, which I honestly, I'm not being facetious. I think it is a big part of why the show is what it is. Like we sort of made that discovery and bantering with each other. And it was the jumping off point for a lot of fun that we've had over the last couple of years. So like, thank you for having a cool last name. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, um, it, it allowed us to sort of explore the show in a way that was really fun and exciting and yeah. And thanks yeah. for being a great actor and it like a, and a good, um, I don't know, a good one for the fans. Someone yeah. who yes. obviously really cares about the show and its fandom. And, um, and we are definitely going to do a Fitz mob for Duncan LaCroix. Newer listeners may not have heard the Fitz mob, but we, Back when we were watching season one, which we watched after we, I mean, we had already seen it, obviously, but we recorded our season one episodes after we recorded season two, um, because that's when we started doing it, it was with the second season of the show, so then we went back into season one. Anyway, um, we did something that we called a Fitz mob for Annette Badland, who played Mrs. Fitzgibbons, who, oh, appropriate, because he's Marta Fitzgibbons. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's even yeah. better. Um, right. Where we said, 
we asked our listeners to go on Twitter or Instagram, any social media account, and tell Annette Badland how much they appreciated her really good work on the show and to use the hashtag FitzMob. And we did it all at once. So we will pick a day. Maybe let's pick a day. So if the podcast is going to come out on Friday, let's say, maybe it should be a day early this week so we can have people come to the, um, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, what if we say like Tuesday? Tuesday is the is Fitzmob, Fitzmob day. day? Are, yeah, what are we going to make the hashtag? Is it still going to be Fitzmob because of Fitzgibbons? I think so. Um, but yeah. it'll be okay. next Tuesday, which is Tuesday. Hold on, let me pull up my calendar. Um, Tuesday. Um, come on, go to uh, April 7. Okay. That way people will have a chance to listen um so on tuesday april 7 go on whatever social media accounts you can find duncan Lacroix on you can i don't think he's on twitter anymore but you could still do it on twitter and just use the hashtag anyway um and celebrate his great work and this terrific character by saying something nice about him or the work that he did or the writing for the character and using the hashtag fitzmob um r.i.p Marta, we love you yeah yeah uh so scales <laughs> Um, so on a scale we'll we'll do we'll do the doing it first um Mm -hmm. those halcyon days um before the midpoint of the episode when everything went to hell um on a scale of let's say well ken burns baseball to Mm -hmm. we have to do marilyn monroe because of the happy birthday um to marilyn monroe um Let's say I was smooching on Clark Gable in the Misfits. No, <laughs> on a scale, um, but not the great. Uh, Marilyn Monroe walking past the train and some like it hot, and the um, a burst of hot air comes out from the train, and she has to like skitter sideways. And, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and, and then Jack Lemon says, it's like jelly on springs. Uh, uh, how, how hot is the sex in this episode? I did it for me, man. You it's didn't even watch hot. it. <laughs> I know, but we were, we were pretty descriptive. You did a good job of describing that happy birthday scene. I am so I'm, into it. I can't get I'm over gonna it. I'm going to say, <laughs> is there tender doing it in out of Africa because they're in a tent? There, I think there is. I think then there's I some might, tender doing it. I might give it the out of Africa tent fuck. <laughs> good. That's mm-hmm. good. Okay. That's so, um, good. so now the costumes. And we've got some war. So on a scale of um, a college directing class decides to do excerpts from the HBO miniseries Band of Brothers and just has everybody just has everybody wear black. Uh huh. A good baseline. I, I do love these new costume baselines. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Um, two actual Band of Brothers on HBO. Um, <laughs> where do the costumes fall on this one? Definitely closer to Band of Brothers, obviously. Yeah. Well, I mean, for that got... coat, we, first of all, there are two coats. There's Bree's coat, which is just mm-hmm. like, that's a great coat. And then there's that coat. Mm-hmm. Which also, if they weren't, 
So Tryon actually has got a deeper thing here because he had to have had that coat made for Jamie because nobody's <laughs> yep. that size. Yep. So he really had to like go balls deep in that shit. Like he had that plan for a long time. Yep. I, I That's think gross. he really wanted to assert his, because we got all that stuff at the top of the season about how he thought Jamie was leading him on, um, with the hurt for the hunt for Murta, um, mm, which of mm-hmm. course he was right. Like he was correct to be suspicious about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, uh, some of it might've been like, uh, petty revenge basically. Um, but man, that was, it's, it's one of the more impactful costumes of mm-hmm. the whole show. And you're absolutely right. That the fact that it fits him so well is part of what makes it such an unbelievable act of aggression right mm-hmm. you're absolutely right that it was tailored for him it's fucked up <laughs> yeah it is yeah. fucked up so i'm trying to think of something that has something to do with a costume where somebody is presented with something that they truly don't want to wear but are forced to wear uh christmas story <laughs> Yes. <laughs> the bunny suit from a Christmas story. It's perfect. I could not have done better myself. Thank you, Jenny. Good job. Okay. Um, <laughs> last one. Um, on a scale of, let's say... Um, Somebody doing an Instagram live of their own quarantine yoga session mm-hmm. to Frank dies. Mm. <laughs> um, where does this fall on the scale? About getting up to get a beer, like yeah. how engrossed you are. I'm going to give this episode straight the movie speed once the bomb is discovered. Oh, yeah. my God. Julie, it's, yeah. that's very high praise. Oh, oh, I know. That's great. I know. That's a fitting tribute. I, um, yeah. I agree. You, I wish it was watching it in advance was the right thing because I wanted to be able, first of all, to focus on your reaction. And second, I just wanted, I wanted to know how brutal it was going to be specifically the Roger stuff. Um, mm-hmm. so that if it was especially upsetting, I could give you a little heads up, which I like, obviously didn't tell you what was going to happen, but mm-hmm. did give you a little heads up that this was going to be pretty intense. Um, we obviously also gave Janine the same heads up and made him go get a beer out of his refrigerator. Um, <laughs> Um, it was necessary. It was necessary. Oh, so uh, I, but I do sort of wish that, and gr- I mean, I was riveted the second time too. But the first time, I was just sitting in my living room by myself in a, like a ball, from about the coat through the end. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it is one of the more. It's this is the praise that I'll give it, and it's not landing it on the scale somewhere. But this is an episode where. Had I the breath or energy to spare, I would have loved another drink, mm-hmm. right? But I could never, right? Like, I just, yep. you couldn't. You could never get up in an episode like this one. Like, you would just need the full fifth right in front of you if you were going to yes. get, <laughs> yeah. get another drink. It's like, bring your own fifth um, and maybe a whole tray of ice cubes. Mm-hmm. Like a mini fridge, 
like you built need a mini, into your lazy boy. You need a mini fridge for this one. Um, yeah. And what about? I'm gonna go ahead because it isn't fair. We're just gonna give like. We're gonna note that we are still gonna call this the golden pamplemousse or the platinum pamplemousse, whichever you prefer. Yes. I think we switch yes. back and forth um, forever. So that like is our tri- like just as with Tobias Menzies, we retired as our tribute to Tobias Menzies when he made his exit from the show. In this mm-hmm. case, our tribute will be that we will continue to make the prize for the best acting of the episode named in honor of Duncan LaCroix and Murta Fitzgibbons Fraser. Um, mm-hmm. So he, he gets the immortal award. So we do not have to consider, <laughs> consider him for the weekly one, yeah. uh, which, cause that just wouldn't be fair. Um, so that makes him the platinum pamplemousse forever. We retire that. And now we only do the golden pamplemousse. I'm Correct. Yes. I'm into okay. that. That's great. So who is your golden pamplemousse for the week? It's hard because I know. Oh, man, I want to get if I could give it to Roger, I'd like to. Sure. I, I, I know that uh, Sam was doing a lot of very heavy lifting and there were a lot of really good moments. I think sometimes I am critical of him because sometimes it feels like he's working a little bit too hard. Mm-hmm. But the moment. I'm going to give it to Sam for two moments. Number one, when he had to put on the red coat the first time. Yeah. And number two, when he went out after he had said his piece to Governor Tryon and he went down to his knee by the fire, that moment. Mm. So, Sam Hewen, you get my golden pamplemousse. I'd like to award it to Richard Rankin only because um, the joy that he experienced with seeing his, um, that, his ancestor again, um, I think helped with that an episode that was going to be just fucking heavy left and fucking right and gave mm-hmm. us a bigger drop. Um, so like maybe, a um, uh, copper pamplemousse. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Yeah. Uh, my, my TGP is also Sam. Um, I think there, there are lots of really great moments. Um, but the one that really stuck with me on the second viewing, because for me, Julie, the first viewing was also the moment that the moments that really stood out were the coat and um, sit him sitting by that fire. Uh, mm-hmm. But this episode, when he when he says help, mm-hmm. it was like, oh fuck, Jesus Christ, just like help. It's like, oh my mm-hmm. god, oh holy crap. Um, and then everything in the tent with Claire. I will say that Katrina obviously has a lot less to do than some other folks mm-hmm. in this episode, but she is very good in that scene as well. And Sophie Skelton, um, all of her nonverbal stuff from the time that Murtaugh gets brought in the tent all the way through the end is like just great. Um, so little mm-hmm. like honorable mentions to both of them. Um, and cre- like we don't always get to sing Sophie's praises all that often because I think the writing for Brie has been pretty weird, but she w- did some really great work this episode. And yes, Sam TGP, um, mm-hmm. TBH, uh, <laughs> was just, uh, just yeah. really, really good. So, um, yeah, thus ends the ballad of Roger Mack. Um, I will not say more about his storyline in the books. So if 
Uh, I guess if you like hearing us talk about what's different in the books, but you're worried about being spoilers, I'm not going to say any more about whether or not Roger is dead and what it means for the show. Uh, if only because I don't know, because who knows, they change things. So I know what happens Mm -hmm. in the books, but I am not going to say, um, However, I am going to talk some about the adaptation and why I think this adaptation is so great. So this is going to be an in-the-book section that is almost entirely positive, which is great. Um, And I don't get to do that very often, so that's pretty thrilling. So if you want to hear that, you can hang around without fear of having uh, it spoiled for you. Um, You can, before we do that, you can find us on Twitter at... Uh, Podlandercast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podlandercast. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Podlanderdrunkcast, where you can support the show, which is expensive to do. So thank you to everyone who does that. Uh, it yes, also you. allows you early access to the episodes at, I think, the $3 level. That's also the level where you get access to our amazing Slack channel. Uh, and I want to take a minute to shout out Jenna uh, and Laura, who you'll hear again in our list of backers, um, who are going above and beyond in creating kind of a care team for members of our Slack community who are struggling um, uh, during this extremely trying time. So thank you so much, you guys, for doing this amazing thing for this special little community that has cropped up. Um, Thanks y'all. Yeah. Thank you very, very much. Also again, thank you to all of our listeners, those in the Slack and outside of it who work in the healthcare profession or who are working in grocery stores. Um, I know in particular uh, Dr. J and Tanner Cole are both uh, working um, and there are others as well. Thank you for all that you're doing. And I hope that this very silly podcast, uh, although <laughs> pretty dark this week, um, but I hope <laughs> this very silly podcast is uh, making you laugh uh, while you're doing some incredibly important work. You're the best. We love you. Um, we want to thank all of our patrons for making it possible for us to do this show, uh, but especially want to thank, hold on, my page is loading extremely slowly. <laughs> Oh, was that Doug? Nope. Okay. That was Doug. That was Doug. Okay, that was Doug. Um, uh, I also realize we have some questions to do, but we'll do the questions before in the books. We got some questions through the Slack. I think some of them will be in the booksy anyway. Uh, Point being, we want to thank all of our patrons, but especially Stella Nutella, Zena Perez, Lola B, Ashlyn Berger, Misty Ojepi, Kayla Regan, get well soon, Kayla, we're thinking of you, Amanda Newton, Jen Lander-Drunklin, Trish McCrary, Dr. J, um, teaching us fundamentals and also keeping people healthy, Lori McGuire, Katie Kirshner, Beth Lack, Alicia Glynn, Liz Peniston, Philip Nako, Heather Moore, Mary the Falling Statue, who joined me for our In the Books chat this week on Crowdcast. It was amazing. Thank you so much. Amanda Whitney Harrington, Chrissy Shively, and Mr. Chrissy Shively, Maria, Emma Lofald, Samantha Smith, Jenna Polkowski, Rachel Townsend, Steph Peterson, Tara Lucchino, Catherine Marshall Eastman, Chantel Salters, Mary Lumpkin, Crystal Nanavati, Ann Gibson, Ruth McCormick, Kara Marlowe, Flourish Root, Friday Payton, Kathleen Monique, 
Japanese. Hi, mom. Hi, mom. mom. Laura, uh, Viv Pickles, sorry, got to use her alias, uh, and our Slack den mom, Kiki the Wise, wise. uh, as well as one new patron who would like to be left anonymous. Uh, Thank you very much, uh, very, very much for your support of the show. that, if you don't want to hear any book talk at all, is going to be it. If you do want to hear book talk, um, we're going to oh. sing a theme song that is sort of... Do you want to do questions before books? Yeah, we will do questions before oh, in books, the books. But in case some of the oh. questions are booksy, we'll just have it all be in one. Oh, okay. Um, okay. We're, we're just going to make some noise. Uh, but I will say one of the questions was more of a request, and it was a request that Janine write a Janine-like theme song for this episode, a la Janine's Corner, the Janine Experience. So why don't, <laughs> Janine, you take us into In the Books by improvising a song about this episode? About this episode? Into the Books? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been a sad time. We didn't know what's coming. All we saw was Jamie running. Oh my God, my heart hurts so bad. Roger, please don't be dead. Please don't be dead. Genius, brilliant, earth shaking. Oh. These are just a few. Of the adjectives I would like to subscribe, <laughs> subscribe to your uh, songwriting capabilities. Oh, my God. Um, I think that was an Amanda Smizam request. So thank you for that, Amanda. That, uh, Thanks, Thanks Amanda. That happy. was really great. Uh, so before we do... Jamie's is running. It's <laughs> my favorite. Um, all right. Oh. Here are our questions, and then we'll do some in the books. Uh, Heather R. says, thoughts on singing... Ha- we all know Janine's thoughts on this. Thoughts on singing happy birthday. The select oh. seems to be divided whether it was good or bad. I was in favor. I thought it was funny and kind of hot, and I like it when the show lets Claire remember that she's from the future. What about what do you yeah. think? Julie? Yeah, I, it didn't bother me. It didn't bother me. Oh boy, it did not bother me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for you to actually watch that scene and report back. All <laughs> no, right, this is an in the books question. Amanda, oops, Amanda Smizmaza asks, I am concerned that Phaedra's character is nowhere to be seen. I really want to see her storyline, especially since they showed the beginning of Frenchman's Gold and cast Hector Cameron. Hashtag fine Phaedra. Um, yeah, I uh, agree. Um, I don't know whether or not we're going to get Phaedra's storyline. I think it's I'm going to try to be vague. I think it's complicated, um, especially and and a little bit worrisome given the show's um, uh, mixed bag when it comes to the way that it's handling race. Sometimes they mm-hmm. do a really good mm-hmm. job. Sometimes they do not. Um, so I I agree that I want to see Phaedra and I like her storyline. I just hope that it's handled well. Um, there's also a big part of Phaedra's storyline that they didn't set up because of the way that they introduced Duncan Innes. Um, so yeah, that is as vague as I can be. Uh, another question from Amanda Smizabazabaza. We've got a couple from her. Uh, why did no one question the syringe at all in either episode, only the penicillin? I don't know. When was the syringe invented? Way after this. When was the syringe invented? We're going to talk about more, more about the syringe in the books. 1853. Yeah, so like 100 years from now. No. Yeah. 
Yes, I guess you're right. Yeah. So I wonder. Ah, uh, I wonder how Dr. Rawlings had one. That's weird. That's what I'm saying. Was he a time traveler? Oh God, that would be cool. That would be really neat. Because when they whipped it out at Fraser's Ridge, when they were given the tonsillectomy to the twins, I was like, wait a minute, yeah. we have not seen this shit. Yeah. And I knew you had told me about the doctor's kit, but that that shit, the syringe is not around I, yet. Uh, I wonder, um, it would be really cool if they were setting up that he was a time traveler. And I do think that maybe there's oh. a section in the books. Where, I will say there is absolutely no evidence that... Dr. Rawlings in the books is a time traveler. However, I th- if memory serves, there is a section where Claire sort of wonders whether or not Dr. Rawlings could be Monsieur Raymond. Oh, yeah, you mentioned that. Yeah, which would be pretty cool. So, um, who knows? Who knows? But, yeah, I-, I think maybe people... Here's the thing. When I go to a doctor's office and somebody brings out a tool I've never seen before, I'm just thinking about whether or not it's going to have to go up my butt. I'm not... <laughs> That's it. That's, like, that's real. No, I'm, that's not, real. I, I'm not actually no, that's real. wondering that's where it got, it, whether or not it got invented yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I think... going into my butt. Well, and also in that circumstance, like, everybody was fucking just trying to not bleed out their, out their butt, but, I guess. Also yeah. out their butt. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, it maybe makes sense that they would, uh, uh be less concerned about that i think um hold on they get collapsed for some reason all right uh, another amanda question how many oh shits will be uttered by janine um heather responded I to that and said minimum of 15 <laughs> <laughs> oh and it wasn't amanda who said this it was heather r need janine to commo- compose an off-the-cup r.i.p pamplemousse song a la his janine's cor- janine's corner theme songs uh it was not necessarily r.i.p pamplemousse but it was a great song all right, yeah. Meredith, um, and we got some actually we, uh, we can offer some evidence in response to this question. Meredith asks, "Did you see the demise of Pamplemousse coming?" I did, and I think maybe that's why I wasn't into this as into this episode as everyone else. Um, Julie, I'm going to let you take this one. Oh, I knew he was going to die this season, and they had kind of been setting it up to happen sometime soon. I it, at least that's what it felt like to me with the ramp up of the kind of aggression of the uh, regulators and how he was such a wanted man and like his picture on posters everywhere and shit. So I was not surprised. As you might no. say, the, the jig is up. The moon is out. They finally found finally him. They found him. The uh, renegade who had it made set free for a bounty. bounty. Yeah. Never thought to go astray. This will be the end today. He's a wanted man. Of the pamplemousse. Wanted man. That's a song by Styx. It's oh. called Renegade. It's a good song. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, mama, he is already dead. You shouldn't bring him in that tent. <laughs> There's nothing that Claire can do to help him. All his lifeblood has been spent. Oh, God damn. Oh, mama, he is dead. He was already dead against that tree. John Quincy Myers helped you to drag him, but there's nothing you will see. Oh. 
up. Hey, good job, dude. Thanks, man. That was good. Thank you, thank you. Okay, Terry says in response to Meredith's question, I think we all thought it would happen, but I hope not. I know I've been a bit in denial. Heather says, I felt it was coming, but everything this week seemed to point to everything happening with Roger and not Murta caught me by surprise. Exactly. Let me see if we've got anything else. Um... Uh, I have a, a DM from Amelia, but it is not about this episode. Um, <laughs> that's a message about how Meredith's parents are watching the wedding. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. Alan Joyce is pouring one out. Um, there is a very lively chat in the Je Suis Show spoiler section. Once you've watched the episode, you should head in there because, boo, there is a lot. Um, yeah, so in the books. Uh, so the the idea that Roger is the one to bring a message to the regulator camp is straight from the books. The difference, and I think this is frankly brilliant, the big difference is that in the books, um, it is a character named Herman Husband, who I think is a historical figure, um, but who is a Quaker, um, who is one of the leaders of uh, the regulators, um, and Roger goes to him and he recognizes him just as Murta does. And they have a very impassioned discussion in like a cabin where Roger is basically saying, listen, you're all people are going to die. I understand and agree with you. You are right. But what th- this is the reality now. If you stay, people are going to die. And Herman Husband says mm-hmm. basically... Um, I can't just tell these people to not fight for what they believe in anymore. And he's like, yeah, but if you leave, I think others will too. You being here is keeping them here. You inspiring them is keeping them here. Um, and, mm-hmm. and Herman husband does leave. Um, and it still doesn't work. Um, so the simple decision to have to, and this is a decision they made last season right? The simple decision to have Murta be a regulator. I don't know if this is what they had in mind when they made it, but that it pays off hugely because the Mm -hmm. increased in like, think about all of the things, just changes in given circumstances that make what is basically the same storyline that much more intense. First of all, there is a personal relationship. Second, he knows that Roger is a time traveler. So there Mm -hmm. isn't like, it's not just speculation and it's not just about the canons. It is, you know what I am. I can tell you this for sure. This is what happens. Then there's the whole question um, because of the focus of season two of whether or not you can change fate. And Murta knows what it was to try to win a battle that you lost, that you know you've already lost because of what a time traveler knows about history. Like all of this stuff is already mixed up in it. And I think even though no one says the word Culloden, I think um, lies underneath all of it, right? Like Murta has already gone through this thing where he has to do what is counter to his beliefs in the hopes of changing history, in the hopes of the promise of what a time traveler knows, right? Like it was really hard for him before he knew what an idiot Bonnie French douche was to work <laughs> against a cause that meant so much to him. So, mm-hmm. um, 
so I think all of that makes it much more intense. Then obviously Jamie and Murta being on opposite sides, Jamie already in the story is racked with guilt about these people who have understandable grievances. Um, mm-hmm. Normally he would be with them, right? He would be on their side, but because of the decisions he's made, he has to be, you know, working with Tryon. He has to do a thing he doesn't want to do because he's obligated to because of, uh, the zillion choices. The land. That, the land, yeah. but also, like, he can't, because of his release from Artsmuir, he can't speak out against the crown, um, or mm, he could mm-hmm. be put back in jail again, because that's, it's just like how he's not supposed to wear a kilt anymore. Like, all of that stuff, it's all one. And then just adding the coat in just makes it that much more, right? Like, it's all, mm-hmm. all of the regulator stuff is amplified by the fact that it's Murta. But so mm-hmm. is the Roger stuff because it isn't just Roger sort of doing a spy mission. It was very specifically to try to save Murta. And then when he has that line for the love your godson bears you, like it just, it makes it that much more intense. So then Roger going over there, it's still in the book. It still makes sense why he does it. And it's still a worthwhile pursuit to try to make this stop. But it just, I think makes it all the more not as tragic, strong, right. right? Like it's mm-hmm. just, um, it's just really great. And there are a lot without spoiling too much. There are lots of little things that this episode does where the things that are different for the book are different in a way that makes them even better on television while being incredibly faithful to the book. Like I said, that line that Murta has as he's dying is straight from his death scene in the books, even though it's mm-hmm. at Culloden and not, at um alamance there's mm-hmm. um uh the syringe thing is really important because there's a storyline coming up where it is important in a cool way for brie like a cool character thing that claire doesn't have a syringe um mm-hmm. because she needs to be able very urgently needs to be able to administer um a medication uh, intravenously, um, and can't because she doesn't have a syringe. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, it's just like a really cool thing that happens. Um, but also, you know, there are still wounded. Claire still has people to treat. And w- mm-hmm. there's that one throwaway line. If I had had this at Preston pans, think about all the lives I could have saved. And then you think about Preston pans and you think about, characters that died at Preston pans, right? Like there, like, like there were big deaths in that battle. That was a hugely important episode of the show. So it just, that one line then makes it, you, you remember all of the people who died in ways that Claire couldn't do anything about because she didn't Mm -hmm. have the right tools. And in this case she did. And then because of the fucking Brownsville episode, we have this setup to have this loss. Like it's just incredibly well constructed. All of the mm-hmm. pieces fit together. Like all of them fit together, and it is really, really great. Up to Claire, like because we spent that time with Myrta and Jocast in the last episode, taking that brooch and putting it in her pocket, and we know what it means, and we know who it's for. Like we mm-hmm. already know who's going to get that. It just, um, I've been really struggling with some of the adaptation choices uh for 
the last couple seasons. This season, some of it has been better, but they've also been unfortunately like handling individual storylines really well and then just putting too much in an episode and it's too rushed. Yeah. This was perfect. It perfectly p- yes. paced, not overstuffed, not underdeveloped, and everything fit together. Also, like, here's a th- this isn't a book thing. It's, I-, I can't remember whether or not Jamie's birthday. It happens on Alamance. I'll have to go in the book and check. But that taking stock, that's all straight from the book as well. Um, not the happy birthday, but everything else. My cock still stands up by itself in the morning. It's all straight from the book. Um, mm-hmm. But Mur- Murta died on fucking Jamie's birthday. Jamie's birthday. Or I guess mm-hmm. maybe it's the day after Jamie's birthday. Oh, it is. It is the day after but his still. birthday. Because remember, they give him a day. Mm-hmm. Like, but still, that's rough. Taking stock of all the things I have and all I can be grateful for, and then everything goes to hell. Just fucking mm-hmm. everything goes to hell. Um, so yeah, I just Tony Graffia, good job. Agreed. Really good job. Uh, and I can't wait to talk about more book stuff once you've seen the next episode. But okay, but we can't talk about it until then. Um, that just means to me that Roger's not dead. And that's okay. I've, even if he is dead, there's going to be, it's something about him. I think uh, there, I'll say this um, without spoiling anything. Cause I don't actually know, right? Like the book and the mm-hmm. show are not the same. So who fucking knows? Right. Um, I will say that there is no way that Richard Rankin doesn't do more acting even if Roger is dead, right? Okay. Like, because we can't go from Mrs. McKenzie, how nice to see you, now I'm going to get hit in the face with the butt of a rifle, to hanging from a tree. Mm -hmm. That's why I think, I would guess that we will fill in some blanks next week. Oh, for sure. Um, But there is absolutely a chance that the next episode is Richard Rankin's last episode. Okay. There is, I don't know for sure, but there is a chance for sure. Woof. Yeah. Um, uh, and for sure. Yeah. I won't say anymore. Okay. Um, I would be very surprised. However, if, uh, my darling Clementine doesn't come back. So, okay. Uh, anyway, that is going to do it for in the books. Um, if you want to talk more about, if you've read it and you're in the Slack and you want to talk more about it, I'll hang out in that channel this week. Maybe we'll even do another crowdcast because obviously there's only so much I can say. Um, because yeah, it's uh, get, everything gets pretty nuts from here on out. <laughs> okay. I don't know why I'm laughing. It's incredibly sad. Okay. Um, We'll have all kinds of feelings next week and we will put on our social media accounts, whatever we decide to do with our, with our digi wake, um, our Murta wake that'll be happening online. So, uh, and then Tuesday, April 7, Fitz mob. Yes. All right. Uh, that will do it for us. Do you guys have anything to add? No. Okay. Yeah, yep. that was a ride. I'm tired. I need another drink. <laughs> Bye. Bye.